Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, November 3rd. Egotism and Egoism. A friend of mine once asked me the difference and I replied almost without thinking. Egotism is pride, whereas egoism is excessive consciousness of oneself. I still consider that the best explanation of the difference. We need to overcome both qualities, but of the two, egoism is the subtler and the more insidious. The best way out of it is to give of oneself to others, to what one believes in, and to God. <clears throat> to give to others, to give to what one believes in, and to give to God. Those are all in and of itself, before we go back to the rest of it, are actually interesting. To give to others is obvious. You have people in your life, you have colleagues at work, you have children, you have, we have all these different people that need things from us, or at least, let me phrase it, the difference, that we need them because we need the opportunity to expand our sense of self. We have a certain amount of energy. We may have a certain amount of money, a certain amount of time, the phrase, a certain bandwidth for doing things, whatever it might be. We have to ask ourselves the question, how will I spend myself? Will I spend myself only on myself? Will I just, you know, get my hair done every day and get a manicure every two days? And if I have money, will I spend it all in buying clothes for myself? If I have time, will I just, you know, read or watch television or do whatever I do? Or will I spend myself on something other than me? And one of the main reasons that the human being is compelled by his own nature toward uh, partnerships and often toward reproduction is because then we find ourselves forced to spend ourselves on something other than ourselves. It, to have harmony with a spouse, we have, to, we have to participate in the relationship. Our children, when they're small, they, they literally will not survive unless we spend ourselves taking care of them. And, and what happens to us is that we discover that rather than losing, I actually gain when I spend myself for a reality greater than myself. So we give to other people. That's the place where the compulsion usually starts. The compulsion, I, I mean that we are compelled by destiny. We are compelled by the way we are made to give to others out of a desire, sometimes out of a selfish desire to be given to, but at least we're spending ourselves on others for that reason. But then he says also, <clears throat> to give ourselves, to give, to give of oneself to what one believes in. And that's a, that's a very nice way of putting the idea because it's, what one believes in may be the career, it may be the creative self-expression, it may be a, <clears throat> an altruistic cause, um, to, to give oneself to what one believes in. And we're always doing that whether we're thinking about it or not. So often it's a very good idea to stop and ask ourselves, how much of myself am I spending on what I believe in? And do I believe 
in what I'm spending myself on. I mean, sometimes <clears throat> one believes in taking care of one's family and one has to do a job that is not inherently in itself <clears throat> something I would otherwise dedicate myself to, but it's a necessary means to the end that I do believe in. <clears throat> so I go cheerfully to work, make the best of whatever situation I find myself in so that I can provide the home and the comfort and the security that my family needs from me. So even then, the smaller reality is, is acceptable because it is the bigger reality. Now, ideally, if we can bring our vocation and our practical life into harmony with what we really believe in, or at least have it not be in direct conflict with it, this creates um, a more satisfactory life. The ideal of deliberate, of small spiritual communities, which was a, a, an intention of Master of Yogananda when he came into the world, part of his mission was to create these small, self-sufficient communities that were based on simple living and high thinking. And one of the things he spoke about was home, job, and church all in one place. And he didn't necessarily literally mean it was the same room, but it was your life was an integrated whole, where you lived, where you worked, and where you, where you experienced the presence of God, instead of it being all fragmented. I go to my job, I come to my home, on Sunday morning perhaps I go to my church, but they're all unintegrated realities. He wanted to integrate it so that life becomes one consistent whole. He promised, he predicted, that these deliberate spiritual communities, uh, that, that for, for not just for monks and nuns, but for families, for couples, for children, people with children, that it would become the social pattern of the future. Because the fragmentation that our society has gradually developed is very wounding to the human spirit. If you think back a hundred years ago, or even not even that far, but when people <clears throat> lived in small communities, and even if you know someone in the family had to go down to run the store or something like that, often the children would bring him lunch, or the father would come home again and have lunch at home. The neighbors were your customers. There was still, it's like you, you were in a community of people that you knew, and there was some unified reality to what you were doing. Everything you spent yourself on was something that you could see and believe in. Now we live in such a fragmented society. You know, people will take a train into the urban area from the suburbs, and their work life is just completely separated from their home life. And their home life is a million miles from where they're working. And church, if it even exists, um, you know, plays a peripheral sort of in its, in its little spot. This is not satisfying to the human spirit. We want to give ourselves all the time to something that we believe in. And then he raises the simple thought, above all, give yourself to God. Giving yourself to God can mean tithing. It can mean taking the fruit of your labor and donating some of it back to that which inspires you. But giving ourselves to God, above all, means to see everything we do in the context of my spiritual aspiration. That there, there's nothing I'm doing that is outside 
of the divine principles um, in which I believe. The, the, the unity of all mankind, the necessity to transcend my own egoic preferences, the need to see God in others, to serve God in others. And then, and be, so you, you take everything that you would do in the human world and realize that it's really, there's a divine force behind all of it. And whatever we're giving to, to this world, even to the people who are closest to us, it's actually God we're serving behind that because the divine is equally present everywhere. And this is how truly home, job, and church come into one place, no matter where the geography is. And now the reason we do all of this, we want to always be giving, is because it's the opposite of egoism. Egoism is excessive concern for yourself. Now, it's, it sounds sort of oxymoronic at the beginning, because of course I have to be concerned for myself. I am myself. You know, if I'm not concerned for myself, how will I live? How will anything happen? Who's going to take care of my business if I don't take care of my business? So it's one of those paradoxes that you, one of those uh, sort of lines in the sand that actual spiritual experience just simply begins to, to turn the whole picture around. In the Bhagavad Gita, it says, there's a verse that says, what is night to the worldly man, meaning to the man whose self-definition is involved with the external world, what is night to the worldly man is day to the yogi. What is day to the world to the yogi looks like night to the worldly man. And there's lots of specifics you can say about it, but it's also that the whole picture just begins to get flipped. And... Um, we begin to understand that our self-preoccupation actually hurts our, um, diminishes our ability to express ourselves, to achieve what we wish to achieve, to have the harmony and the fulfillment we want. We think always paying attention to me is going to make me happier, but in a weird way, that very preoccupation is the primary cause of unhappiness. When I was, just before I was 19, when I first learned about Sanatana Dharma, and I read some words of Swami Vivekananda, and there were a few aphorisms in there that completely turned my head around. And one of them was, don't think about yourself and you'll be happy. My, I thought, what else is there to think about? And I was a, a pretty generous giving, happy person. I wasn't by any means a sort of brooding, um, selfish, um, self-preoccupied. But I was always conscious of my own position in any situation and the way I, I, I gradually began to understand it. I was always looking to enjoy myself. And so I was always looking how to maximize, maximize my own enjoyment in any situation. Now, fortunately, I wasn't selfish by temperament. See, this is where it, I wasn't selfish. I was just self-conscious, uh, self-concerned, if you can see that. So oftentimes, the best way to, to maximize my enjoyment was to be very helpful and very cheerful and very involved, but I never forgot about myself. I always knew where I stood, and I was always recalculating my advantage, whatever, however I defined it. 
As I said, I was saved because my values were not really gross. But still, I was just always doing it. And I just, and I just didn't even know what to do. And it became a very, I didn't know about japa. I didn't know about mantra. I didn't know about yogic practices. So I just began to literally try to concentrate on anything else but my own position. And, and here's the odd and interesting thing I discovered. If you don't constantly ask yourself, how am I doing, how do I feel? You tend to actually feel just fine. It's only when you're stopping and asking yourself, how am I doing, how do I feel? And you start answering that question that all kinds of other answers come. If instead, one is cheerfully busy giving oneself to what one believes in or giving oneself to God, there's no self to be concerned. And the, and the act of giving is joyous by definition, especially and primarily when you give yourself to something you believe in. You give yourself to God. You give yourself to the people you love. And then what you become is this wonderful selfless flow of giving. And there's, there's just, and as I said, you have to experience it to know it. But once you begin to know it, you realize my happiest times are when I'm not there. So why would I constantly be asking myself how I'm doing? There was this woman who came to Ananda. She was so funny. I mean, funny in this, like, oh dear sort of way, not funny like humorous. But uh, she was, uh, you know, she had a lot of energy and uh, she sort of became involved with the things that were going on around Swami Kriyananda. But after a while, she stopped attending his satsang. She stopped accepting invitations to you know, spend time with the group of us who were with Swami. Her explanation was, if I spend too much time in the company of Swami Kriyananda, I forget my problems. So I need to have time to think about my problems and solve them. <laughs> well, it was, that fell under unclear on the concept. The problems existed because she was preoccupied with herself and where did she fit? The problems ceased to exist when she just allowed herself to become a flow of divine grace, giving. And so that egoism, that self-concern, self-forgetfulness. In my first job at Ananda Village, when I moved into the ashram in 1971, when I was 24, I, I was given responsibility, eventually I had almost sole responsibility, for the kitchen that served not only the guests, but about 35 community residents also, we all lived very simply up in the medit- what's called the seclusion retreat area of Ananda Village. And they didn't have their own kitchen, so they depended on me. And I was pretty much single-handed. I had a little bit of help, but not a lot. Volunteers helped to clean up and so on. But I had to cook pretty much three, three meals a day, six days a week. And on the seventh day, I went to town and did laundry and um, bought groceries for the next six days. And I was really busy. You know, breakfast is served whatever time, 8 o'clock. Dinner is served at 6. There was, you can see that's a long day and a lot of time in between. But it was all, all just involved with the kitchen. And I, I loved it. I loved cooking. I loved making food for people. I just loved everything about it. And I loved the giving to what I believed in. And I'd been waiting my whole life. I was not old, but I'd been waiting all of it to find something I believed in that I could give myself to. And I was so happy to have found a way to do that. 
I just, I, I literally, I just ceased to exist in my own mind. I remember when someone came up to me and said, how are you doing? I said, who? Like that? Really, I was startled to have the energy directed and all of a sudden to have to stop and think, how am I doing? And then I really understood Vivekananda that I had read five years earlier. That was what that, in that moment is when I really understood it. Oh, I'm so completely happy because I'm just giving to what I believe in. And, the, and there's just no I to worry about. The I has just been lost in the flow of giving. And I have become the flow of giving. And that flow of giving is profoundly satisfying and joyful. And the, the, all the little what's in it for me just couldn't, couldn't hold a candle to it. And, the, and that's what happens when we do creative work, when we open ourselves to God, when we simply forget ourselves. Now the other side of it is pride, egotism. But as Swami says, egoism is much more subtler, much subtler and a much more serious problem. Egotism, you just see you're being foolish and you can get over it. Egoism requires a, a different divine reorientation to become free. So Swami says, egotism and egoism. A friend of mine once asked me the difference, and I replied almost without thinking, egotism is pride, whereas egoism is excessive consciousness of oneself. I still consider that the best explanation of the difference We need to overcome both qualities, but of the two, egoism is the subtler and the more insidious. The best way out of it is to give of oneself to others, to what one believes in, to God. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.